ago, and she's already serving in the church. Right back there. You, you, you want to appreciate her for a moment? Just uh, there she is. Lisa, thank you so much. We'll try this little microphone. You can maybe turn it down just a little bit, but uh, wow. Okay, well, so we've, we've had uh, an opportunity to hear God's Word. Uh, three passages from the book of Acts, chapter uh, 6 and 7 there. And uh, so let's pray for God's Word. Lord, thank you for this morning. Um, I just sense it's a special morning. Um, that uh, I sense also the heaviness of that passage. We just read a passage where a faithful servant of yours uh, was killed. And so, Lord, uh, help us to, um, to understand um, not only the passage, but what it's like to be faithful, to follow you, um, deal with our fears, uh, help us to understand the, the human situation more deeply. And um, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be honest with you and to find Jesus uh, present with us when we are suffering. And uh, I pray, Lord, you'd help me preach and teach and instruct and uh, that these words will be yours and they will be clear and they will be good and blessing, a blessing to people. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Okay, um, Acts chapter 7, essentially. Um, the longest speech in the book of Acts. Doesn't it feel like there's going to be a long sermon? Don't you feel it? Can you feel it? What's going to happen here? So, um, there's actually a very important thing going on in this sermon, and I hope I can do it well, but there's a very important thing happening here. And this is something that you should, I would commend to you to do. And that is to be able to think about your Bible globally. Think about your Bible as a, as a helicopter flyover, uh, as tourists uh, on Oahu who want to see Oahu quickly do the one-hour helicopter ride. Um, that's very important. Um, so when you look at your Bible, can you summarize the flow of the Old Testament? Uh, if you were at a, uh, at a party with some people at work and just hanging around and they began to ask you, you know, I've never read the Bible. What, 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 well, what's the story? What's it about? Um, I think we should be able to share uh, an answer in an actually pretty succinct way. And so and I make myself available to, to help you with that because they're, it's really important. It's important for uh, preachers, church planters. How would you explain the gospel? in a very simple, forthright, concise way. So, this is a passage uh, where we have Stephen, who has just been set apart as a deacon. Uh, he's just been set apart in Acts chapter 6, and now he is, he's really functioning like a, like a prophet. And in fact, we're going to find out there's another one named Philip, who, of these deacons, they're they're doing a remarkable ministry. In fact, they are on the front lines moving beyond their comfort zones. And so these are sort of servant prophets that God gave the church. And uh, Stephen is quite a remarkable individual, unafraid, appears to be unafraid. So let me uh, introduce this passage by 
by presenting to you something that psychologists and sociologists have observed. And maybe this will be, help, be helpful. I want to give you a mental experiment here. And uh, here, here's how it goes. This is from what's called family systems theory. And here's how it works. Um, let's see if this works here. What happens in a family is everyone's sort of functioning as... I grew up with five, uh, four siblings, so there's five kids, and we all have our own way of living and functioning, and we all have our own little idiosyncrasies and ways of, of living. So let's imagine a, a college student, uh, a young girl, has come back to her family, but she's been away for a couple of years, hasn't really visited in a long time, and she comes back to her father and mother and her brother. And she comes back with greater clarity about how her family actually functions. She can see more clearly, she's had some distance, um, and she can see more clearly what her family is like. For instance, she notices that dad is always carrying a Bud Light can around the house. What do you think might be dad's issue or problem? So we don't even need to amplify that. But it's, it's, it, dad, has, uh, dad has something going on with his, uh, with his pain in his life, and he's uh, medicating himself with, with alcohol. And, and the, the daughter, the college student, has come back and can see this more clearly. Uh, here's another in, in, uh, insight. She looks at her mother, and her mother is, is always enabling the younger brother to play Pokemon Go. That's the rage, right? Well, that's just... The, the, the younger brother is just all over this video stuff. C- crazy, uh, addictive behavior. Uh, and the mother is just uh, encouraging him, allowing gives him money to buy the latest video games, and the, the sister comes back and just says, this is like really dysfunctional. This is really crazy family. I have a crazy family. And then the brother thinks everything's cool and normal. And, who, and sister, what are you doing here? And can you go home a little bit earlier? You know, that's his message to his sister. And so the sister, who is probably a little more healthy in her emotions, uh, can see things more clearly. And she has a family meeting. And she's going to let the family know in a loving way uh, what she's observed about her own family. Now, how well do you think this is going to go? Can you just feel it? Yeah. Why, why wouldn't it go well? Why wouldn't it go well? Well, um, some of you in the medical world, uh, you are familiar with this word homeostasis. Is that, am I? Some of you, I see a few heads nodding. Homeostasis is, uh, I, I think, if I get this right, and I shouldn't venture into the world of the medical world, it's not anything close to my training, um, but if your kidneys and liver and lungs and heart and everything's functioning, then there's a, a, a sort of a, a good stasis, right? We don't want the liver overreacting or underreacting, and, right? So we want this stasis, right? But stasis can also have a pathology to it, like you want your intestines to not be stasis. You want this, uh, yeah, just keep moving, right? You want that, right? So it would be a very serious issue if your intestines did not uh, do their work, right? Okay. So stasis is, the, is a, is a dis, uh, generally seen as sort of a, uh, uh, things are not moving and things are static. All right, that's enough of that. So here's the idea, is the, the daughter has come now to see the alcoholic father, the enabling mother, and the addicted son. And what they all, the three of them all understand is this is stasis. This is normal. There's no, no one is waking up realizing there's a problem in the family. But it's the sister who has come from the outside who has now begun to see more clearly 
that there are deep pathologies in the family system. Does that make sense? That was my venture into what's called family systems theory. Now, what happens when that person comes and points out the problems in the family, they are not appreciated. They are attacked. And uh, so it is an emotional response to what people perceive to be as normal. Right? This is normal life. Right? Now, in a small way, um, this is what Stephen is doing. He is pointing out that what you perceive to be stasis is deeply troubling. There is a spiritual pathology to your behavior and Israel's family behavior. So what we are, what sort of, I think if, if you look at this, what, we see, what we're seeing in this passage is we're seeing a family dispute. These are all supposed to be brothers, you see. Uh, they are all Jews. They are all to have some sense of family, some sense of connectedness, and that is not going on, is it? Someone from the outside has come and they have begun to explain in detail a biblical case for the deep pathology that has existed in Israel for its history. So what Stephen does is he points this out with a biblical defense. His biblical defense uh, includes passages from Genesis and Exodus, and he highlights um, the story of Joseph and Moses. Did you catch that in the reading? It was Joseph and Moses. And what Stephen highlights is that Joseph was despised. He was rejected by his brothers, and he was delivered to foreigners, the Egyptians, and he was cast off and disregarded. But what happens with the story of Joseph is that Joseph does not remain as a slave in Egypt where he started. He becomes the one who's in charge of the Egyptians. Essentially, he's been given the delegated authority by the Pharaoh, to run Egypt. He's the prime minister of Egypt. So the one who was cast off and disregarded and rejected has become exalted. And in that exalted status, when a drought came, his family, the, the guys who threw him in the pit, the, the, the ones who wanted to kill him, these guys are hungry, and they show up, and Joseph feeds them. He gives them mercy. He actually provides for the whole of his family in his new exalted position. Though he was rejected, he has compassion and love. The next illustration is of Moses. Moses is starts off in a lowly position. He is a, a baby in a basket, floating in a dangerous river. 
And as he is floating in this basket, he's received and uh, he is brought into Pharaoh's very household. And as Moses is brought up, he is he makes a decision to, uh, and he is called by God, but he is dis- putting his own life on the line, and he and he defends he defends a, an Israelite against an attack by by an Egyptian. He is an exile as a result of uh, of accusations that were given to him. And then God calls him to, to a ministry of being a redeemer. Moses is one who started in this lowly position and now is the redeemer of Israel. And uh, Joseph highlights the experience of Moses with Israel. And from the very earliest days, they opposed Moses. They didn't cooperate with him. They resisted him. They challenged him. They accused him. And when God had delivered them out of Egypt through this miraculous Red Sea deliverance, they are in the wilderness traveling with Moses. God has established this mobile worship center called the Tabernacle. And they longed in their hearts to go back to Egypt. And Joseph does something very interesting in his, uh, in his speech. He quotes one of the twelve writing prophets. You see, Joseph's being singled out as some odd wad, some strange guy who's saying things that are just not true. Joseph quotes Amos chapter 5. Oh, excuse me, uh, Stephen quotes Amos chapter 5. The point is, this is nothing that I came up with. This is a commentary by one of our own prophets And Amos 5 says, did you offer me sacrifices in the wilderness? No. You turned to the gods of the surrounding cultures. And he quotes Amos chapter 5 for this very purpose, that the heart of Israel has never been faithful, but it has been idolatrous, such that the prophets came with Accusation after accusation that your heart is idolatrous and it is such that God will one day boot you out of the land. And it is the great embarrassing moment of the Old Testament when the God who had given them the land of Canaan kicks them out of the land with the Babylonian uh, invasion. Joseph is just giving the true story of Israel's history. Excuse me, uh, Stephen. Stephen is just giving the true story of Israel's history. Somewhere in the Sanhedrin's mind, they live in an edited version of all this. They live in a very edited version. They have cut and pasted, they've cut this out of of, of their history. 
And Joseph describes toward the end of his speech that, excuse me, Stephen describes, I keep saying Joseph, Stephen. Stephen describes at the end of his speech that not only was there Joseph, not only was there Joseph as a redeemer or Moses as a redeemer, the greater Joseph and the greater Moses has come, Jesus. And what each of these previous redeemers did was that in their exalted status, they blessed people. Even though they were despised by their own family, what happened to Jesus? Despised, rejected, forsaken by his own family. The story doesn't end there. Jesus has now been exalted. The worship that God always intended for human beings has been established. The tabernacle was a temporary structure. The the temple was a temporary structure. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 is quoted by Stephen as 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 a plea to understanding that God cannot be contained in a box and that the heart of the Sanhedrin's issue is that they have not embraced God from the heart in worship. What's remarkable about this passage, is, I, and the situation is this, is that the Sanhedrin, did they not look at the temple and did they not see lambs sacrificed? They must have. Did they not see the sacrificial system and understand that in great humility they must receive from another, from a representative, they are made acceptable to God. It is not through their own righteousness. The whole sacrificial system is meant to send a huge message of humility to the one who is seeking to worship God. And what I want to just apply to our hearts today is this. Is that there was a casual familiarity with words and ideas, biblical thought, but there was not humble worship going on. And what had replaced this was self-righteousness. It's a a strange thing how the Sanhedrin respond to to Stephen, isn't it? I mean, if you were listening to someone who is disagreeing with you on some something, um, yes, we do know that arguments can lead to fights, can lead to physical brutality, can lead to to someone attempting murder. Yes, we're aware of that, but it doesn't have to go that way, does it? It doesn't have to go that way. You can just sort of wow, this guy's kind of strange. Huh, he's talking about, and you can just dismiss him. You don't have to kill him. You're not required to. Of course, they believe that he is violating the blasphemy laws, particularly when he cries out that he sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father, and he's communicating with Jesus. 
What is it that he has said that's bothered them so much? What has he said that has made them enraged? He's attacked their righteousness by giving the family history of resistance to God that they have joined in the very same resistance that was embodied in the life of Joseph, that was embodied in the life of Moses. Now the final Redeemer has come, and they have taken on the family characteristic of, of resisting God and turning to idolatry. In this case, the idolatry could most likely be the temple itself. So, what are we to take away from this? There's a beautiful, beautiful conclusion to this message when, when Stephen is being killed and Jesus is present with him. Standing as his advocate, standing as his, as his defense attorney, as it were, receiving him as he dies. 1 John chapter 2 tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. What is the Christian life? The Christian life is progress in grasping and understanding and applying this perfect love. To so find yourself free, to so find yourself okay, to so find yourself identified, so find yourself brought so close to this walking, talking relationship with God that your fears are diminished by this love. Worship is training us in this love. Worship is helping us cast out all fear. Worship brings us to a greater understanding of the exalted status of Jesus. I do believe this is the one doctrine that has lit the heart of Stephen on fire. That the exalted status of Jesus is irresistible to his soul. Let me wrap this up with a couple, couple of thoughts. <clears throat> Romans 5 tells us that hope does not make us ashamed. Do you think Stephen experienced shame when he was being killed? It was an attempt to shame him. It was an attempt to put him in his place, to silence him. But Romans 5 tells us that hope does not make us ashamed. In 1 Corinthians 15, 26, we are told that we have been delivered from the sting and the curse of death. In number 6, the great Levitical prayer that the or benediction that the priest would say to the people, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord cause his 
face to shine upon you. That is fulfilled as Stephen dies. There is a place here that Stephen's martyrdom is touching upon. It's touching upon the presence of Jesus, the sweet presence of Jesus in our suffering. Christianity is misunderstood throughout the world. The church at times can, per- mis- uh, can perpetuate this misunderstanding. Uh, that we are in some way uh, wanting our political will. Uh, we are trying to, um, in a triumphalistic way, uh, get our will done. Christianity, at its very core, is speaking to the issue of our fallen condition and our suffering in this world. It's helping us. Christ is present with us. And he is close to us when we are suffering. God in Christ is seeking to express his face to you in your suffering. And when we are suffering and we are having trials and difficulties, it may feel that God's face has been removed from you. But the truth is, he is seeking to shine his face upon you and to assure you. You see, what God is doing in in what we call sanctification, what God is doing in the progress of our spiritual growth, what he's doing is he is conforming us to the image of his son. And so this remarkable change is underway. Romans 8.29, those he foreknew, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Well, we see this in the life of Stephen, don't we? Stephen cries out to God that he would forgive those who are sinning against him. The very same spirit that was in Jesus is in Stephen. So what is the application for us? Well, there's many. I hope that you are fighting against the impulse, the tendency of self-righteousness. Think about the last argument that you had. Think about the last bit of anger that was expressed. Did someone mess with your reputation? Did someone mess with your own version of your own history, your accomplishments at work? Think about that emotional reaction when someone is messing with your stasis. It's your stasis, isn't it? It's the controlled world, the, the curated image I want of myself. It's how I want to present myself to others. And, and it, it's actually very powerful, and we can feed from it. My encouragement to you is to understand that the whole of the Christian life is a humbling experience. 
to begin life in the church, you are baptized. You need to be washed. To, to continue in the Christian life, you need to be fed. You cannot sustain your own life. You cannot make yourself presentable to God without being washed. Help us, Lord, to not be so close to the sacrifice of Christ like they were. The Sanhedrin were very close to all those religious ideas, very close to the idea of blood, very close to the need for redemption, very close to these stories of Joseph and Moses. And they didn't understand that these were redeemers who needed to be appreciated with humility, who pointed to the great Redeemer, Jesus. Draw near to God with confidence through Jesus alone, not through your righteousness, not through any kind of righteousness, not through any kind of, uh, any kind of hope in something that you have done or created or accomplished. It's a story, it's a words we often say here. My encouragement to you is that you would, and I would l- continue to live solely and completely from that righteousness we get through Jesus alone. Ours, ours is a family history of significant dysfunctionality. Ours, as a human race, is a history of idolatry. Ours, as a human race, is a history of not listening to the messengers God has sent. Ours, as a human race, is not a history of righteous response to God. We turn to other devices. And God, in his mercy, sends his Son to accomplish it all. Let us all be properly humbled that through Jesus we'll be raised up. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage that presents to us the rich Redeemer of God's people. Thank you for your kindness to give us this record that that humbles us, that rightly reduces us to crying out in mercy. Lord, thank you for washing us through baptism. Lord, thank you for feeding us the Lord's Supper. Lord, we cry out to you that we would know more richly and more deeply these truths. We thank you for the hope that does not put us to shame. Father, I pray you would be close to all those who are sensing, their, are aware of their suffering, aware of the difficulties, and they feel perhaps that you are not with them. Shine your face upon them, Lord. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.